I've managed to fuse the maintenance hatch shut, but that won't hold the dregs for long. Oh God, it's just like on this week's episode of Doctor Who. Why is this always happening to us? You were the one who wanted to do a TV review podcast, Sigma. You knew the risks from the start. Quick, down here. We can lose them in the server room. Look, go on without me. I'll stay here and slow them down. No! You can't, Alf. They'll kill you. I've had a good life. And you're in love. i got to save you. But you don't stand a chance. You're tiny. I'll just walk slowly towards them and loudly shout a loved one's name. Hopefully my sacrifice will give you the time to escape. No, I've made a decision. I'm going to be the one that walks slowly towards the monsters. You both go on without me. We can't let you do that. You've got a family, Alf. Two children, a loving wife. And I can't let the love of my life die. My plan is to blunt their teeth slightly with all my bones. No. Your lovely bones are going to stay on the inside, and do you know why? I think we could all make a pretty good guess at this point. That's right. You both go on without me. I'll stay here and give you time to escape. I'll just kick them in the gym bobs. I don't think they have gym bobs anymore, Loz. They're apex predators. They've evolved beyond gym bobs. Even so, I'm staying. Save yourself. No, I'm the one doing the noble staying thing. Go on without me. No, you go on without me. I've got a sprained ankle, so... Go on without me. I left something in the previous corridor. Go on without me. If you don't go on without me, I've got a gun and I'll shoot you both. They're getting closer. I'd rather see you die than not go on without me. Put the gun down. Stop threatening to kill us and go on without me. They're here. No time to explain. Just go on without me. Guess we're all staying then. Yes. Yeah. Kind of defeats the point though, doesn't it? if literally no one goes on without us. It's a, it's a good point, yeah. Okay, you, listener, go on without us. Yes, we're breaking the fourth wall to tell you. Go on without us. And when you get to safety, tell them the Upa sent you. Well, hello everybody. It's time for another episode of The Oodcast, starring me. Your hostess, Laura Mead. Also, this one over here, his name is Chris Foston. Oh, uh, hello. Yeah, sorry, distracted because I found a little white feather on my microphone. Very exciting. I'm hoping that's a good omen. It means your microphone is a conscientious objector. Or that it was used by a duck. (laughs) (laughs) And on my other side, you can find my partner in crime and life. This Christopher. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back. He's a nice one. Hey, so is Chris Alpha. Hey, wasn't it nice that everyone said such warm and wonderful things about us when we returned 
uh, to the internet. Yeah. It certainly was. I'm always so surprised. I think people forget <laughs> about us. Or maybe they do forget about us and then they're like, oh, they're back. Mm. I mean, we often forget everybody else is there because we don't do this for so long. <laughs> I, kind, yeah. I kind of hope it's a bit like seeing an old school friend who you got along very well with and just slipping easily back into some witty repartee speckled with memories. You're like, oh, it's Jason Pilly. I don't think about him at all in my day-to-day life, but now I see him... I'm jolly glad that he still exists. Yes, and not, oh, Daniel Atkins, who always had a number 11 for our listeners in the States. That's why you have two bogeys coming out of your nose constantly. <laughs> and whose mum used to knit his cardigans and he would always wipe his nose on the cardigans, but it would always still run. Like, I hope it's not that. Interestingly, Jason Pilly, who I used as an example, is a real guy. And he, I just found out, was standing as a, for a, to be a member of parliament in in my hometown for the psychedelic party he wanted to do <laughs> cannabis cafes all over south end on sea would you like to know something quite funny about his campaign yes please so, he didn't have enough budget to print color leaflets for his psychedelic party therefore oh. his psychedelic flyer had to be in black and white <laughs> well you know one day change will come but will it be a good change or a bad change Ooh, I sense. See how I rush into the critique of the episode, Orphan 55. So um, this is a really interesting episode for me because we as a podcast are always trying to be incredibly positive. I think that's a really important thing, Mm. Uh, especially at this moment in Doctor Who fandom. I think it's become very partisan and I really like that we're on the side of this show is a wonderful thing and we should champion it. Um, The reason I brought all that up is, firstly, I've been spending too much time on Twitter and it (laughs) is quite a toxic place to be sometimes. Oh, it It is a quagmire. It makes me quite angry. I should not read it all the time. Don't. And and all I was doing was reading about Doctor Who. I didn't even dip my toes into the larger political milieu. I Mm. just looked at Doctor (laughs) Who and it made me angry. It is definitely bad for your mental health. So, where does a podcast like this sit when the episode is, by any metric, not great? Um, and I think it's, I think it still looked really beautiful in places. I think some of the effects work was excellent. Um, the outside of the dome, the planet surface, um, the big jeep thing, which I guess is wasn't real. I thought that looked really good, and I like how Spartan. And welcoming and beautiful the vacation was. So I think production values and effects were still pretty great in this episode. It still looked beautiful. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, It did have shades of centre parks about the spa. (laughs) Um, I did feel very much like, ooh, I would go there to get a hot stone massage and probably be quite happy about it. I'm not sure I would if the first thing I do is to buy a bag of crisps that had some kind of infectious worm in it. Ah, that's a good point, though. I thought that sequence was really funny. It had pace. It was a funny idea and a great kind of sci-fi idea as well, having a virus that was cross-platform. And the Doctor was very Doctorish in it. It was funny. And there was a beautiful visual joke at the end where in the background, Ryan is still fighting off 
pretend bats while the doctors moved on to something else. All of that, mm. I was so excited at that point. I thought, wow, this is such a confident and, and, and brilliantly paced episode. Actually, I believe you partially <laughs> jumped off the sofa while shouting, they did a funny joke. I did. I was like, that is genuinely <laughs> funny. Well done, everyone. Hello, Simon. Oh, hello, Edheim. Looks like you're hanging your picture there. I am indeed, Edheim. Can I help? I'm not sure, Ed. It's just it requires a really delicate touch. Oh, don't worry, Simon. I've done this a million times. Oh, okay. Well, feel free. You gently tap it in while I go and get us a cup of tea. Oh, righto. You won't regret it. about you Alf. so okay i'm i'm gonna go to one of the things that i think has caused a lot of anger <laughs> because actually my first reaction when i saw it was oh i could lay into that okay go on but then i went back to it so um i'm going to talk about the final scene that speech yeah um because my first reaction was clearly this is too preachy. We've already got the message. We don't need this banging into our heads. We are not the slow child at the back of the classroom. We don't need it repeated, repeated. This has been quite obvious the whole way through. Um, and that's the reaction I've seen from a lot of people. And I can see why, except when I went back to it and I gave it some more thought, I don't think she's entirely talking to them. And I don't think she's entirely talking to Earth, uh, about Earth. I think she's talking to herself and she's talking about Gallifrey. Ooh, that's interesting. Which is what, when I went back and I looked at it, actually, this is quite nice. And the reason I think it jars with everybody is because up until then, nothing has been subtle, (laughs) particularly. And then there is this really subtle piece of writing, which she does very well in that outwardly, she looks like she's doing it to them. But everything she says... Um, plays in with how she's been at the beginning of the episode of what she saw at the end of the previous episode. Mm. Um, and, and it all seems to tie together. I was thrown off by it initially and I had to go back and think about it and see it again because I thought I, surely my reaction is not right to that scene. Surely that it can't be that bad. And I don't think it was. Now you've made me really want to go back and watch it again <laughs> with that with that take on it just so I can see it. I mean, mm. I, I like that idea. But I, I in my day job, do a lot of climate change-based campaigning. Mm. I can tell you that even though the people who listen to this podcast are probably more at the woke end of the spectrum than not, there is a huge, huge problem with humanity being in a general state of denial fueled by greed and terror. Oh, of course there is. And yeah. You know, as a species, yeah, we are the slowest ones at the back of the room who need literally having our face pushed into the hot coals going, you are going to die, you are going to die. That's a different point, though. (laughs) It is a different point. But, like, I don't... I, I suppose I saw this episode just after I'd spent a day in a workshop with people who are campaigners from around the globe talking about just how dire the situation actually Mm. is on the ground and how so many of the people who we work for and with are dying 
Mm. And and yet there's so little political will or mass consensus that something has to be done now. Mm. And so, you know, when, sure, when I saw it, I thought, oh, a bit heavy for a kid's show. But then I thought, mm, actually, it's the kids who are going to be bearing the brunt of all of this. Let's lay it on thick. Let's let's go hard. Mm. Extinction Rebellion liked it. They retweeted loads of gifs of it. Fantastic. Good. I've got to say, when I heard it i was like i agree with all this stuff and i've known it for a long time and i too mm. campaign on it in my day job but I, this is so heavy-handed that it might convert me to the other side but <laughs> <laughs> you immediately went outside and just like burnt a whole slag heap but now that alpha has said that that is so clever it's been on her mind the whole way through and that's just she's talking to herself that is brilliant thank you very much good night see you later <laughs> Look, I know what you're thinking, but it's one possible future. It's one timeline. You want me to tell you that Earth's going to be okay? Because I can't. In your time, humanity's busy arguing over the washing up while the house burns down. Unless people face facts and change, catastrophe is coming. But it's not decided. You know that. The future is not fixed. It depends on billions of decisions and actions and people stepping up. Humans. I think you forget how powerful you are. Lives change worlds. People can save planets or wreck them. That's the choice. Be the best of humanity. Oh. But of course, none of that applies to you. What? None of what I said applies to you three specifically. You've just experienced a barren earth, destroyed by a radically altered climate. It's already in your past, so it's become a fixed point in time for you. What does that mean, Doc? It means if you try and fight climate change, you'll create a paradox that could unpick all of space and time. So what you're saying is, yes... From now on, the three of you have got to actively destroy the environment at every opportunity. Don't separate out your recyclables. Leave all the lights on. Take your car to the shops and keep the engine running while you buy your pot noodle. Are you sure, Doctor? I'm serious. Dump a bunch of toxic waste near a fresh water source. Club a seal. Knock down a wind turbine. You are now the only three humans in history who have a legitimate reason to wreck the earth as quickly as possible. So please, I beg you, drop kick a dolphin. Push Greta Thunberg off a cliff. I'm not sure that's a very positive message, Doc. Don't worry. The episode ended ages ago. We'll save it in the edit. I want to keep on the theme of the environment because there was one scene, it was very, very short and incredibly rushed, but it was brilliant, which was the scene where the Doctor traps the Drake leader in the capsule with her. Um, and, and And it's a brilliantly done scene because it's about, if you kill us, there won't be any CO2 left. So you, we have to keep each other alive. We are a delicately balanced system. She defeats the monster by creating homeostasis in the room, which is this beautiful little, uh, such a doctorish thing to do, mm. to use harmony as a way to defeat the monster. And I thought that mm. was great. And I wonder if at some point more of the episode was that 
bit of the episode. I wonder if that was a much that was a centerpiece because it's so perfectly calibrated as a bit of writing. Uh, I thought it was beautifully done, but actually in the execution. It was really edited to a very, very small, like under a minute almost, and it didn't quite work. But that idea was brilliant, I thought. I get the feeling there were probably quite a few cut scenes in this. It's sort of, the story felt a bit patchy in places. Not like it was missing essential bits of the plot, but like there was maybe some character exposition Mm. that had been in there, but then gone away. I do think it was missing essential bits of the plot. I mean, I think if we quickly pull our heads together, we can think of things that were never paid off. So why was Benny kept alive? Why was he dragged halfway across Mm. the landscape when everyone else was killed? Why did they bring everyone on the rescue mission we're like come on guests yeah. we're going on a rescue mission all together it's like a club outing yeah let's not leave two oxygen canisters per brave searcher except i thought that was more because there were dregs in the uh, in the resort and the safest place was um, was for them all to stay together in one place what what i mean That's is i think there wasn't time to explain all this stuff these are all things that probably in the first script that was twice as long you know all got explained and then in the way it was cut together either script edited or decisions in the editing room afterwards these things the answers to these questions were left on the cutting room floor and we didn't get to see it didn't feel like a whole episode it feels like a brilliant episode cut down someone sort of uh, someone said to me that it's like a classic three-part story part one would be in the holiday camp part two would be on the in the van going out and part three would be the conclusion it's got Mm -hmm. that beautiful structure but then you have to put it into 45 minutes and it can't the weight of it it crumbles onto its own weight it feels like so the doctor working out how to defeat them feels like initially it would have been set out in a much more regulated pace mm. so bits get picked up but actually in the editing down to 40 minutes it happens boom 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 boom, boom and it looks really sudden and it doesn't sit right because you think actually she's just done that in the last two minutes how has she done that yeah she hasn't discovered any new information she's yeah. just worked it out in her head and that's not the most interesting thing to look at just someone going over the facts in their head and suddenly getting a breakthrough and you want them to see something it's or... not very um it's not very believable either even for the doctor the doctor doesn't often stand in a room and think oh i've got the entire thing in my head they you know it's like everything every detective needs to have some kind of input to generate the answer and that's the same for the doctor what more than the letter p Ooh, um, I, I, I do, I, much as I hate to agree with you, I do agree with you. And I also found it quite jarring, really, how the character Bella, who has apparently spent her entire life caring for her sick father, would suddenly turn from somebody who is in a caring profession to a mass murderer mm. and show really no sign of remorse at all for all the various other people who she'd killed. I just found that a bit sort of like, why? What? Why? Mm. What is the point of her doing that? And also, what was the mum's endgame? Oh, it's all for her. Yeah. Is it? Really? What's going on? Yeah, tell her then. Develop, develop those characters just a little bit more. Mum, I bought you a coffee. I'll just put it there. I just wanted to say I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say half the things I did. I didn't mean to upset you. Look, 
dad wasn't around anymore and you'd chosen to go off and build a holiday camp on a desolate planet instead of spending any time with me because of what I'd done, I didn't realise that the presence of this camp had annoyed the monstrous far-future evolution of humans into breaking and entering to rip all the tourists into tiny pieces. While I snuck into camp with a bunch of huge bombs so I could burn everything that you had created to the ground in revenge. Well... Seeing it all burn to the ground while we fought off those creatures, it it made me realise that I'd been stupid. I, I really want us to be a family again. And this time, I promise I won't talk while Doctor Who is on. <laughs> what was the name of Benny's mate? Filmer. Played by Julia Foster. Because everyone, this week, what I've done is I've written out a cast list so that I can talk about actual names. Go and test me. Okay, all right. Um, What was the name of, what's his name off of um, the Inbetweeners character? His name was Nevi. See, he's the one I had the question of. Why would you pay out for a guest star and then use him so little and make his kid the star? (laughs) Well, the kid, um, Silas... Lewin Lloyd, there you go, was in his Dark Materials. So he is a oh yeah rising no, that, star. That wasn't meant to be patronising. It was more. <laughs> why would you have that character? Just have the have the the child. Why I would mean, you have that actor? Ooh. Uh, so I really liked the kind of further development of Graham and and Ryan's relationship to the point where Graham is now actively worrying about the safety of Ryan, and Ryan isn't getting annoyed with him for doing it. Which it sounds like a really small step, but actually that's quite a quite a big thing i think especially when there's step parents involved it's sort of all step grandparents in this case um nice to see ryan be able to explore the exact dynamic that he'd had with his father with bella oh that's true yeah that was good as well there you go we're finding lots of good Mm. um his you know his progress with the accent is is good as well (laughs) Um, i feel like we're, we're we're saying it's a bit of a curate's egg I, I do have something else that's quite that genuinely is interesting about the episode. Go on. That given that it's clearly quite a blunt instrument <laughs> as as a story in terms of message. A bit of a snap hammer. Um there is, I think, whether it's intentional or not, I don't know. But there is some um nuanced and quite subtle storytelling in it, which I th- I wonder whether or not that's going to be a theme for the rest of the season. So that's why I've picked up on it, um, which is the theme of neglecting children. Mm. Because in this, there's sort of several layers. There's the, uh, there is whatever the engineer's name was again. He neglects his son in that he gets his, he relies on him to do the work. Yeah. Um, There is obviously the mother neglecting her daughter and and going off to build up a big business to the point where um, the daughter really resents her and tries to blow everything and her up. Um, um, and there's also the top level, the really blunt one of us neglecting our own children um, by neglecting the planet. And then um, you have the timeless child, right? That's where I was going. Mm. Yeah. I'm wondering whether it's coming back to the timeless child and whether this is all. I mean, part of me thinks, well, the master is going to be the timeless child. Or the doctor. <laughs> but yeah. Except. Or the Rani. <laughs> what a twist. It'll be Romana. Let's let's do them all just now. <laughs> So it's like a sort of a tiramisu of bad parenting. It is I, yeah, the, the meddling monk. A, a Vionetta. <laughs> a Vionetta of bad parenting. Oh, I would love the meddling <laughs> monk to return. This is a story you should see, Laura. There you go. 
you should watch the Time Meddler. It's a William Hartnell story and it is excellent. It's about a a time lord that disguises himself as a monk in order to disrupt the Viking invasion of 1066. So Harold Goldwinson would beat William the Conqueror at Hastings. Whoa. Yeah, I think that's one of the best It's one of my favourite stories. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Hi there. Sometimes on the Udcast, we don't talk to each other about what the sketches we're going to write are. And sometimes two of us do things on about the same idea. So here we present two sketches that are sort of the same. Enjoy them both. Bye. Right. Item one, strategic priorities for the next night orb cycle. I'll, I'll assume you've all read the paper. So does anyone have any thoughts? Uh, there's nothing in here about laser weapon inoculations for young dregs. Or the compulsory teeth sharpening appointments we discussed several times in the last solar orbit. Both good points. Yeah, apologies. I, I was on holiday when I put this together and the higher oxygen levels must have affected me more than I realised. I'll circulate a new version after the meeting. I did have something I feel we should add, actually. Um... Roads. Roads? Yeah, I think we ought to have a rotor to make sure they are maintained properly. But we don't use them. I know, Janet, but... We just sort of, well, stagger everywhere angrily. Yeah. Constantly screeching into the ether like no other species really do. It hardly seems like a pressing need for the resources we have available. This is an apocalyptic wasteland, Brian. Public highways on apocalyptic wastelands don't look after themselves, Clive. What happens if an old school human thing decides to drive one of those antique wheeled boxes across the surface of the planet? That's their lookout. And if they break down? You've read the manual. We're required to circle the vehicle and screech at them for a bit until they run off. Oh, and that's another thing that should go down on the list of priorities. Adequate screeching facilities. I was listening to some of the younger ones do their drills yesterday, and it was very disappointing. I think we're getting distracted from my point. Some of their screeches were rather reedy and pathetic in the event of them encountering... Hey, Dreg Leader. Oh, come on now. Dreg Leader was my dad's name. Call me Darren. Sorry, Darren. It's true what they say. We spend our whole lives resenting our parents and yet we're doomed to become them after we rip them limb from limb and assume their mantle as leader. But I ask you a question. My office door's always open, Colin. You know that. If we still had doors or offices or anything except rocks. Well, that's just it. We're apex predators. But here's the thing. Of what? Excuse me? Of what? What are we the ultimate predator of? There isn't anything else here. That's a good point. I've never thought about that. How do we even survive? What have we hunted over countless generations? Maybe we're vegetarians. With these teeth? And anyway, all the plants have died too. How about microscopic bacteria? That seems very unlikely. Think of the amount we'd need to consume. Our calorie target's gone through the roof since climate change made us all hench. It's probably best not to think about it too much. The humans are here now. Let's attack them. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm starving. Me too. That at least makes sense. Let's get them. Roar! Well said. Roar! So, now we have...
picked the yogurt out of the moldy yogurt of that episode. (laughs) (laughs) What a metaphor. We have removed the flies from the granola bar of that episode. We have nibbled, if you will, upon its good parts. It's now time for us to close with a fantastic haiku from Chris Alpha. In true to form, only one of these three lines will be good. Here is the haiku for Orphan 55. Spa break proves stressful as ghosts of eco-future eat guests to make a point. <laughs> Okay, so in a shamelessly nicked from NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour and it turns out the Verity podcast, thank you, people who are trailblazing there, we have our new weekly instalment. What's making you feel good? Can we tell you what's making us feel good this week? So... Chris Alpha, what's making you feel good? So recently I have been revisiting a radio series that isn't new, but does have a link back to Who, in that Peter Davison was in the first two series. It's called King Street Junior. It was on Radio 4. It started in the 80s, not long after he stopped being, do- stopped being the Doctor. <clears throat> and it's, it's set in a junior school um, somewhere in England, um, and it's just really warm and funny and quite real. Um, he plays an annoying character, but does it very well. Um, it, it, and it stars the magnificent James Grout, who has a fantastic voice. And a fantastic name. Yes. Well, so um, where will other people know James Grout from? Um, Old Harry's Game, the Radio 4 comedy. He was oh, in that. And he was also, uh, oh, he was um, strange the boss of Inspector Morse in the TV series. There you go. There are two places you'll know him from. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it. it's like a little window into what school must have been like when I was going to junior school uh, in the 80s. And it's it's funny and it's it's very well done. So there you go. I've been, it's a perfect thing for me to enjoy in the depths of winter. It's warm and, and lovely. So and what's the name again? King Street Junior. Lovely. So, uh, Chris Sigma, what would you like to talk about? Well, it's funny, in your introduction, you talked about Verity. Um, Yeah, uh, a few people pointed out that this new sequence of hours is something that Verity have been doing right from the beginning. So I wanted to make Verity my uh, thing that makes me feel good this week because it's a brilliant podcast. It's a feminist podcast. They have this rotating cast of brilliant women who talk about Doctor Who and... It's just so inventive and funny and, and again, warm and lovely. It's a really great podcast. I applaud yes, that. Yes, thirded. Um, <clears throat> well, <laughs> this is the most tenuous of tenuous links. <laughs> I'm sure we'll all remember John Pertwee and his use of Venusian Aikido in order to defeat some of his... <laughs> More lumbering foes, which surely could have come in handy in this episode with the very lumbery dregs. Hey, I was once in a band called the Dregs. We were made up of ex-members of other bands I'd been in. But but that aside, uh, my thing that's making me feel good this week is the new sport that I've taken up called Krav Maga, which basically 
shows you how to hit people in very effective places that will make them fall over, which I feel is something that John Pertwee's doctor would have probably been quite into. He would mean a fan. You reckon? Yes. Mostly, it's whacking them right in their nards. So, that's what's making me feel good this week. (laughs) It really does just bash right past the boundaries of social convention and also people's trousers. Can we tell you what's making us feel good this week? And so we come to the end of another episode of the Oodcast. Join us next week when we'll be reviewing Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Should we shoot you, Benny? When you went to get a sunhouse, one of us moved. Should have left.